You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Mood disorders are prevalent in the general population, and in spite of the appearance of invincibility, athletes are not immune to depression. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Antonia Baum. Dr. Baum is a founding board member and the vice president of the International Society for Sports Psychiatry. She is also assistant clinical professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at the George Washington University School of Medicine. In addition, she maintains an active private practice in Chevy Chase, Maryland, where she has worked with professional, college, and high school athletes, as well as with weekend warriors. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Dr. Baum, tell us about depression in athletes. You know, one of the things that I think is so perplexing to people when they hear sports psychiatry is that it sounds oxymoronic because there is this sort of mythic ideal that those who are of sound body are of sound mind. And the longer that I've spent in sports psychiatry, the more I have seen that myth just blasted right through and that not only are athletes just as susceptible, but in some sports and at some elite levels of training, even more susceptible because of the unique pressures that they're under. So tell us more about that. Why would they be more susceptible to depression? Let me give one example. An Olympic diver whose whole identity was so caught up in being the best diver she could be. And you can imagine the tension before national and international competitions. All eyes are focused on you. You're at the end of the platform. One tiny miscalculation or false move, one little bit of a splash or lack of uh, being straight up and down as one enters the water can be devastating, can cost you a medal. And, you know, that becomes such a huge focus, especially when one has given one's whole self to that endeavor for a lifetime. So that's one example, I think. So if you have that scenario, and let's say you have somebody who is maybe genetically predisposed to depression, you really have a setup for big problems. Do you find, too, that uh, certainly my experience working with, with professional athletes is that so many of them have been really sheltered uh, their entire life and protected by teachers and coaches and parents and spouses from from sort of everyday life, that they live in, in the bubble of their sport and nothing else. Um, does that contribute? I think it does. You know, I've talked to professional football players who sort of became accustomed to having every speeding ticket written off or never having to pay for a drink or a dinner in a fine dining establishment because the moment someone recognizes them, they're just automatic celebrities. So they they kind of do live in a very artificial world and retirement, abrupt discontinuation of that lifestyle because people are so fickle. You're on the team and you're in the limelight one moment and the next you're not. That's a huge adjustment. Exercise is supposed to help depression. So how can these athletes who are training so much get depression? One example is the so-called overtraining syndrome. An elite athlete who's pushing so hard gets to this sort of stage of burnout that I think is both physical and psychological, where they present as depressed, actually, you know, sort of anergia and low mood, and they kind of don't want to train or their training is subpar. They don't have the energy that they normally have. 
what the doctor really needs to recommend is, is a break. I imagine that doesn't go over very well when you suggest that. It really doesn't. I mean, if you have a serious athlete, they tend to be very driven. And I think there's also, to some degree, I can think of an athlete recently who needed to taper for a race, and she really was at loose ends and her mood sort of destabilized, and the anxiety kind of reappeared with the tapering that was necessary before a race because it was such a change from the intensity that she was accustomed to every day. So you do get a lot of resistance. But the other thing you get a lot of resistance to from athletes, uh, like this this diver that I was talking about a moment ago is a great example. She was totally into natural foods and everything being healthy. And the last thing anyone was going to do is give her medicine. No way. A lot of resistance to treatment with pharmacotherapy. I would also think in the case of the burned out athlete that you suggest stopping or decreasing that you might get angry calls from coaches and parents. Absolutely. And, you know, this is one of the areas where, as a sports psychiatrist, our job would be very different, again, from a sports psychologist because though performance enhancement may end up being a byproduct of the work that we do, sometimes our unlucky job as a sports psychiatrist is to actually sit down with parents or coaches or an athlete and say, you know what, this sport is not good for you. You have to quit. Or maybe you need to consider quitting. Or maybe you need to consider moving on to a different sport, even at the college level, where why such big money goes into college football is, you know, because... It makes a lot of money. They go on television. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Tony Baum. Dr. Baum is the vice president of the International Society for Sports Psychiatry. We are discussing depression in athletes. Tony, how do you go about treating these athletes? It's interesting. Obviously, it isn't necessary to be an athlete to treat an athlete. But the sense that an athlete has walking into your office if they know that you have been involved in sports is you kind of see them visibly relax and kind of feel like, okay, they let some of their guard down and they kind of feel like this person might understand where I'm coming from. Though it's not necessary, again, to be an athlete, to have an understanding of what athleticism means to an athlete. So that let's say you have somebody who has a severe depression, and they end up needing to be hospitalized. Well, you better not tell them that they can't exercise or go to the gym at the hospital. You better find a way to make it happen. Or let's say you have an eating disordered athlete, and you put them in the hospital and they've been restricting, and you say, well, you can't exercise. You actually need to look at the bigger picture sometimes because that may really backfire, and you may need to say, okay, We're going to let you work out, but you're going to have to take this many calories in to compensate for the fact that you're working out. So there has to be some flexibility and creativity and some real empathy for the athlete. Now, when we think about pharmacological treatment in these athletes, are there special concerns regarding side effects? There are. I've actually kind of looked at this and done some studies on it, and really just to document what I kind of already suspected to be the case, which was... There are certain areas that you have to be particularly attentive to with athletes. Obviously, one would be anything that engenders fatigue or sedation, any drugs that might cause tremor, jitteriness, drugs that cause sexual side effects, obviously are problematic in any population, but I do think that athletes might be exquisitely sensitive to that side effect. 
Now, what about in terms of blood pressure, pulse? Is that something to think about? I mean, we do have to be careful about that. I was treating an elite athlete with trazodone, which can cause orthostatic hypotension with a sort of a reflexive tachycardia. And it took us a while. She actually was able to sustain being on the trazodone eventually because it was so helpful to her with her sleep as an adjunct of treatment for her antidepressant. But it did require some time and care because I think actually some of the tachycardia we were seeing was part of kind of an overtraining syndrome. Now, are there any therapies that aren't allowed in organized sports settings? Do you mean pharmacotherapies or? Either. I would assume pharmacotherapies, but other kinds of of therapy as well. Insofar as pharmacotherapy and psychotherapy are stigmatized, that might be a difficulty. And then there are these overarching sporting bodies that do prohibit the use of many psychotropic drugs, and you kind of have to be attentive to which sporting body is governing, what their list of substances are that are banned, and whether there are any exemptions that are possible. Yeah, that certainly, that was a huge problem for us in, in our practice of psychiatry, where we had an Olympic athlete who had done quite well on an antidepressant for years, and the U.S. Olympic Committee wouldn't let him stay on the antidepressant for fears that it was performance-enhancing, even though there is no data, to my knowledge, of any sort of performance-enhancing effects of this particular antidepressant. And he had to stop it in the midst of the build-up to the Olympics. And, of course, that's probably the most stressful time anybody can imagine. And needless to say, the consequences were, were huge. Yeah, and that's such an unfortunate scenario and one that I feel passionately about because I think it's clearly a discriminatory practice. And I think that that's where an organization like the United States Anti-Doping and their ability to grant exemptions needs to become better known so that people realize that there are ways to appeal these kinds of decisions. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Tony Baum. Dr. Baum is the Vice President of the International Society for Sports Psychiatry. We are discussing depression in athletes. Are depressed athletes at any greater risk for substance abuse? You know, there are certain subcultures, depending upon the sport, where there is more substance use that's kind of, again, part of the culture of the sport. Rugby is kind of a a notorious example, but you look at some of the professional sports teams, certainly professional football and professional basketball, there's a lot of substance abuse among these guys, and part of it is that they have a lot of money, a lot of cash to spend. So you get these sort of designer drugs that cost a lot, and again, it's just part of the subculture. So anytime you have depression, since we know that Substance abuse is so frequently comorbid with depression. That is a real setup. So do you routinely do tox screens on these patients? I don't really do it in any way differently for an athlete. Anytime I have a suspicion, certainly I will do a tox screen or if there's been a history of abuse. So again, I just kind of approach it from a kind of a common sense standpoint. Now, do you think that perhaps, and I don't know whether it's more common now or if we just hear about it more, maybe it's not swept under the rug, but it seems like that there are so many bad boys out there that you watch ESPN and it's, it's like a crime show these days of all the trouble that they're getting into. Any thoughts about that, why these athletes seem to be so vulnerable to bad behavior? Well, uh, you know, there's been a lot written about that from rape to substance abuse to ownership and discharge of firearms. And I think that some of it is that 
there is a certain level of aggression in people who are successful in sports. And then beyond that, you kind of get this whole esprit de corps with a team that can kind of foster a whole other level of aggression that each individual might not have, but as a group might really be sort of magnified. So they kind of uh, sometimes encourage one another. So on one hand, society rewards them for their aggressivity, and, and then we punish them because they're aggressive. That's right. That's exactly right. I want to thank our guest today, Dr. Antonia Baum. We have been discussing depression in athletes. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to visiting with you soon.